Well, thank you everybody for joining us here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. I'm Father Chris Alar. I'm excited because I think I got a look, but I think this is the 150th episode that we have done of explaining the faith. And I am certainly taking you back to seminary today. I told you before, it was the best time of my life. I took so many notes, read so many books, and I said, someday I wanna share this with everybody. And one of the big topics that is so confusing, that is biblical, but I took several scripture classes to really understand is the Antichrist. And that's gonna be our topic today. I'm gonna to try to simplify it for you so that you don't have to read all the books on it and all the saints and the prophets and the popes. And even if the Bible itself is a little hard to understand, we are going to basic, basically, as best I can, explain that in a simple way. So, you know, what are we looking at here? Um, is the Pope the Antichrist? We're hearing a lot. What about the Whore of Babylon? What about the Beast of Revelation? A lot of people are trying to tie that, that the uh, Antichrist is the Pope and the Beast of Revelation is the Catholic Church. We're going to answer all of this today. And <clears throat> we're excited that you can be with us. And we hope you'll be with us next week. I'll be here live uh, for first Saturdays in November. But let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us to guide us, to bless us, and most of all, protect us from the evil of the Antichrist and his factions. We ask that you show us what you want us to do to discern your will, to be able to do what we must to be able to keep the kingdom of God alive in the world. And we ask all this through the intercession of our blessed Mother Mary and through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I'm, again, very grateful that, that you could all join us. You know, I did a talk, as you can see from the title slide. This is about the Antichrist. Let's, let's go to our next slide. I did a talk quite a while ago, early on in our Explaining the Faith series. There's a picture of it called The Catholic View of End Times. And it was a three-part series. It's gotten well over a million views just on YouTube. That doesn't include Facebook and others. Um, we, we, that's if you want to see more. In that talk, I talked about the five things that Scripture says must happen before the second coming of Christ. So I'm going to summarize just one paragraph for you out of that whole talk where I talked about the Antichrist. And then we're going to go into all new stuff. But if you saw this talk back a while ago on YouTube, I'm going to refresh your memory and just read one paragraph on the Antichrist that I did in that talk. And then we're going to jump into new stuff. So basically, the five signs that must happen before Christ can come again one of them is the Antichrist, surprisingly. Now, there is in the Bible a revelation of the Antichrist. And most theologians and church fathers say he will appear three and a half years before the end of the world. Now, this comes from Daniel and Revelation, which says 42 months. So this is basically three and a half years. There is a seven-year preparation for the end of the world, and halfway through it, 
he will reveal, the Antichrist will be revealed. Okay? <clears throat> Beasts of the land and the sea, <clears throat> the great dragon. We know this from the Bible. But the Antichrist will do deceptive miracles and will deceive the people and be a leader in the great apostasy. Now, we're not talking about deceptive miracles like Mary appeared and gave a beautiful message of Christ. That's not a deceptive miracle. You know, we talked about if it's a reflection or not in my other talks. What we're talking about but deceptive miracles is that they have the power, they do, to work miracles, not in God's name. That's what we're talking about. He will be fully human. He's not the devil incarnate. The devil cannot become incarnate. So the Antichrist is not the devil incarnate. He is a human person, okay? But he will be possessed by the devil. Okay, he's not the devil, but possessed. Some say he will be Jewish. That is a tradition. And he will be persuasive and powerful. Now, right now, we're talking about the Antichrist with the capital A, the one the Bible talks about. However, there are small a Antichrists that the Bible tells us have already lived. Now, many believe that that could be Nero, the Roman emperor, Caliglia, other Roman emperor, Stalin, Mao Tse-Tung, Lenin, Hitler, you know, they have persecuted the righteous just in the spirit of the Antichrist. But this Antichrist, the Antichrist, with a capital A, is one person. We have a bunch of little Antichrists with small A's that may have lived already or living today. But the big A, capital A Antichrist, will have a deep hatred for all the saints. But the good news is, we will, the saints tell us, we will be given special graces as his disciples when he comes. And in the last days, the time of tribulation, many say only those confirmed will be able to withstand the tribulation. Many mystics and saints have been saying this. This is not scriptural. This is not dogmatic. But it makes sense because it's one of the sacraments. And so in my talk a while ago, I talked about this. Please get confirmed. Have the sacrament of confirmation. That's what many saints are telling us. Okay, let's go to our next slide. Who then or what is the Antichrist? Here's the famous picture of the Antichrist. Tempting Christ. Now, Catholic Answers is one of my resources I use. I, Chris Sparks is my theologian, Dr. Robert Stackpole. I always bounce things off them, but, but Catholic Answers is real good, too. And they talk about the term Antichrist. Is, do you know it's only mentioned a few times in the Bible? And in the Bible, it's used both singular and plural. Again, the singular, the Antichrist. And the plural, a bunch of little a Antichrists. All right, implying that there is both a particular Antichrist as well as preceding human Antichrist. And because of their crimes, such as Nero, Hitler, and Stalin, as I said, they have been termed Antichrists. Okay, 
Now, let's talk about this. In 1 John chapter 2, 18, the term implies a particular man before the second coming. This is the capital A, the Antichrist. He will persecute the church with ferocity that we've never seen before. Wow, we're getting a lot of persecution, but it's going to be worse than any. Then in 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, it tells us that anyone who opposes the Father is the Antichrist. Anyone. Anyone who opposes the Father. Then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, it says, every spirit, and I'm quoting 1 John 4, 3, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus does not belong to God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, as you have heard, is to come, but in fact is already in the world. Now, the Bible was written centuries ago, and it says he's already, they are already in the world. Okay? So the spirit is already in the world. So let me rephrase. The spirit of the Antichrist is to come, but in fact is already in the world. The spirit is in the world. That's why we've had Hitler's and Stalin's. <clears throat> now, Bishop Polycarp of Smyrna, he died in 156, said in his letter to the Philippians, everyone who does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh as God is an antichrist, with a small a. This is scary because that means we are living amongst antichrists. Our own family, our own friends. You know, there's a lot of talk right now what's going on in the Holy Land and in the Middle East, right? And there's a really good series of talks out there I've been watching. And it says, how come nobody is saying, look at the players in this? It's the Jews and the Muslims, both who have rejected Christ. There will be no peace until we bring in the Prince of Peace. So we got to pray. And one of the five signs of the second coming of Christ is the conversion of the Jews. So let's pray for conversion. I know it's great to pray for peace. Peace is temporary. Peace will never last until the second coming of Christ. Pray for conversion. This is what Father Seraphim taught me. Everything I teach about divine mercy, I learned from Father Seraphim. He was my mentor. And he used to tell me over and over and over again, the most powerful prayer is the prayer for conversion. That's what we got to be praying for. He said, not peace. Peace is not just an absence of war. Pray for conversion. And then when the Muslims convert and the Jews convert, we will have peace through the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. Now, Paul, let's go, to our next, let's go to our next slide. Paul does not use the word Antichrist. The word Antichrist is only in the epistles of John. People don't know this. Well, Father, Paul talks all about the Antichrist. Paul references the lawless one which does seem to be a reference to the Antichrist. Okay, grant you. So who is the man of lawlessness? That's who Paul 
the term Paul uses, but it does seem to refer to that. Then in a similar way, John, also the gospel, refers to the son of perdition. So let's go to our next slide. The son of perdition means son of utter destruction. Judas Iscariot in the Gospel of John 17 through 12, or 17, 12, and the Antichrist that is mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 2, 5. But again, the term Antichrist is in the epistles of John. But Paul references through other terms like son of perdition or Paul uses the lawless one. Now, who is he? He's described as a man who will be empowered by Satan. Again, he's not Satan himself. Satan cannot become incarnate, as I said. That will come forth in the end times to savagely persecute the church. Wow, do we need to pray for our church. Now, we are in such a mess. And now if you're going to launch the Antichrist on us, Lord, what's going on? Well, the Lord is going to let us go through this test and trial because of our sins. This man will come, proclaim himself a God, and through the signs and wonders that he performs, not in the name of Jesus, but in the name of himself, people will start to worship him who are living at that time. Now, the concept is so compelling that even non-Christians talk about the Antichrist. Did you know this? Muslims believe that at the second coming of Christ, because they actually believe, they don't believe he's God, but they believe he will come again, that they will do battle, the two will do battle, Christ and the Antichrist. This is in the Arabic, and if I'm pronouncing this, El-Dajah. And I apologize on the pronunciation. Now, finally, the Antichrist will be destroyed by Christ, the Bible tells us, when he comes in glory. This is second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Now, let's take a little stronger look in the scriptures. I want to give you the scripture. This is, I'm teaching you what I learned in my seminary scripture classes about the Antichrist. And then I'm going to add some things to it. Well, let's go to our next slide. If Brother Mark can put up there, the Antichrist is mentioned by name in only four verses. Antichrist, and sometimes it's not capitalized. Sometimes Antichrist is one word. Sometimes it's one word with a capital A. Sometimes it's one word with a little a. And sometimes it's Antichrist hyphenated. But there's only four verses in all of the Bible that mention the word Antichrist, and they are 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, 1 John verse 4, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 3, and 2 John there's only one chapter in 2 John, verse 7. So if Brother Mark can show those. There are other verses that people think link to the Antichrist, but he isn't named Antichrist. We just mentioned sons of per, son of perdition or the lawless one. Now, these four Johannine verses serve as the core for our knowledge about the Antichrist, and we should go there first. I'm going to walk you through each one. Okay, all four. Let's go to our next slide. This is 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist, notice, it didn't say the Antichrist. 
You have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Small a, not the word the, small Antichrist. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. You know who he's talking about? People who've left the faith. Those are Antichrists. Father, how dare you say that? I'm not saying it. I'm just agreeing with it because it's in the Bible. Okay, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Talking about apostates. We have given up the Christian faith. This passage appears to speak of a major, though, individual antichrist as well, as well as many minor individual antichrists, as apparently are apostate Christians, because he says they went out from us. Okay. What do I mean there? You just said, Father Chris, that it's the one big one, but you also said it's the little ones. No, listen to the passage again. The Antichrist is coming. That's the main one. But we already have many Antichrists have come. So the one is coming, capital A, the little ones are already here. All right. They went out from us. Now let's go to our second passage. This is 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father. This is why we profess at every Mass the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, this is consistent with the apostate nature of the many antichrists, for they have denied that Jesus is the Christ, and in denying the Son, they have implicitly denied the Father. Let's go to our third passage. This is John uh, 4, 3. So this is 1 John chapter 4, 3. Every spirit which does not confess Jesus is not of God. This is the spirit of antichrist of which you heard that it was coming, and now it is in the world already. So the best I can interpret and in what I learned in seminary was the spirit had already been in the world from the beginning because sin entered the world. But there will be coming the main Antichrist at the end. So that's how I was learned and taught in seminary. Now, last passage that mentions Antichrist, if Brother Mark can go to Second John, Verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, men who will not acknowledge the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. This clarifies the specific deception being perpetrated by the spirit of the antichrist and its human collaborator, the one who is to come suggesting that it involves a denial of the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Now, I'm going to get into some really good stuff here. Because who are we talking about? Is the Antichrist alive today? Father James Blunt, 
It's a good friend of mine, a good priest is claiming he was shown the Antichrist. Now, I'm not going to claim that, and I'm not going to say that I, I necessarily know all the details. And I'm not going to sit here and say that he is alive or he's not. We're going to tell you what the church teaches. All right. Now, there are other antichrists, as I said, with a small a. The four passages given above that we just did are all that the New Testament says about the name antichrist. But many have identified other forms, like the beast from the sea, right, in Revelation 13 um, that we talked about. Or Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. We have to look at this with nuances, however. Now, let's look at the beast. Let's go to our next one. This is the favorite one of non-Catholics. The beast from the sea that John speaks about in the book of Revelation is best understood in its initial literal fulfillment as one of the early Roman emperors. Father, where you're making that up, where do you know that? I'm going by catechism, paragraph 2113, 2113. It talks about this. Now, there are often multiple fulfillments, though, of a single prophecy. Did you know this? And the best way is to go to the church. What does the church teach? Okay. The beast may also point forward to an individual at the end of time that will be like the Roman emperors. So somebody who tells you the, the Antichrist is not the Roman emperors, it's going to be somebody coming at the end of time, is also possibly correct. Because there's multiple fulfillments. The earlier Roman emperors were those spiritual antichrists, antichrists in the spirit. Such an individual is easy to identify when we turn to Paul, who calls him the man of lawlessness. For he appears to be a still future individual who does things like the Roman emperors did in the past. So this is the Antichrist. Paul states that he will one day manifest himself in the temple in Jerusalem and to want to be worshipped. Now what's interesting, that would mean that the Jews must attempt to build a third temple. So all this talk now that's going on about the red heifer and, and, and that's a whole other talk. If you want to see me explain that, the end times, Catholic view of end times, I, I cover all that. This is related to things the Roman emperors did, such as Caliglia, right? He was the really perverted one, right? After he began claiming to be a god, he attempted to have an image of himself put in the Jerusalem temple. This would fulfill scripture. Since the many antichrists are identifiable as apostate Christians, meaning they've rejected God the Father and the Son, the future individual antichrist may also be an apostate Christian, or at least from an apostate family. Okay, now this is a point of difference between the antichrist and the original literal fulfillment of the beast. See if you stay with me here. Again, I'm sharing with you what I learned in seminary and from Chris Sparks is doing some research that he provided for me. The early Roman emperors were not apostate Christians. 
They weren't Christians at all. They were pagans. Okay? So they could not be the apostate Christians. But it is not a hindrance to identifying the future individual Antichrist with the future man of lawlessness that Paul talks about, or a future even fulfillment of the beast from the sea. Since future emperor-like individuals may have a personal family or national Christian background that win apostate. Apostate is the most serious sin. You completely reject God altogether and his mercy. Now, what then do the church fathers say? Okay, let's go to the church fathers. The church fathers identify the Antichrist most often as this law man of lawlessness. Again, St. Paul. They understood him to be a political ruler who would oppose the church, rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, and then demand to be worshipped as a god. Now, they cannot truly build a new temple in Jerusalem because Christ is the temple. But they can try. At times, he was understood to be a person of Jewish ancestry. This is according to the fathers. From the now lost tribe of Dan. The details of how the Antichrist is to be understood vary from church father to church father. Meaning that there's no infallible consensus. It's not dogma on who it is. But there are speculative theological viewpoints that I'm going to share with you. Through history, there have been many individuals have been identified as potential antichrists. And they may have been, but none has been the final antichrist, the final persecutor of the church. Not yet. The catechism explains this. There will be, this is according to the catechism, a supreme religious deception before the second coming of Christ. And that supreme form of this deception is that of the Antichrist. Now, in Matthew 24, 15, he says there will be false Christs that will lead even the elect astray. What does the catechism say? Let's go to that. Paragraph 675. Here, I'm reading you right out of the church catechism. Before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial, just like I said, that will shake the faith of many believers. The persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of a religious deception offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. Notice from the truth. What is going on right now in this world? A complete apostasy from the truth. Life is not sacred. Marriage can be redefined. A boy is not a boy. A boy can be a girl. A girl can be a boy. We have a complete apostasy of the truth. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist, a pseudo-messianism by which man glorifies himself in place of God and of his Messiah come in the flesh. We are making ourselves God. That is the great sin. The deception has had things like Nazism, communism, supporting it. Now, let's go to our next slide, 
before we get into the good stuff. This is Catechism 677. The deception of the Antichrist will lead to the final crisis of the church. Wow, kind of sound like what we might be facing today? Which will be persecuted almost to the point of extinction and thus will, quote, follow her Lord in his death and resurrection, only to be saved by the second coming of Christ. Wow. But now we're going to get into what you're hearing all the time. Let's go to our next slide. The Pope is the Antichrist. This is an actual slide of an actual talk. The Pope is Antichrist. This is an audio lecture series from the Reformation 500 Winter Conference. The Pope is Antichrist, the Antichrist. Now, opponents of the Catholic faith have been depicting the Pope as the Antichrist for a long time. I'm about to show you a video that shocked me this morning. I got cameraman Giuseppe out of bed at nine o'clock. <laughs> he sleeps. And I said, Brother Mark is doing the mass. I need you to clip this, take this clip for me, please. I gotta show it. This is one of the most shocking things that anybody could ever say about our faith, and nobody has said a word. This is a 51 second clip. Listen to what this man says about the book of Daniel and the Antichrist, and then what, let's listen to what he concludes. Let's play that clip. Daniel okay. says God will destroy Antichrist at the return of the Lord Jesus. In Daniel chapter 11, he is presented as a ruthless, arrogant, proud king who will do as he pleases, a blasphemer without parallel in human history, magnifying himself above every god, speaking monstrous things against the God of God, showing no regard for the God of his fathers, forsaking the religion of his ancestors. He will magnify himself above all. He has a religion. He has an ancestral religion which he forsakes. We're not sure what it is, but it is interesting. In Daniel 11, it says that he has no interest in the desire of women. He has no desire for women, which may mean he's a homosexual, or it could be that he will be a heterosexual celibate. Some think this indicates he could be a pope. God will judge him and bring him to an end at the return of Christ. This is the clip that you just watched, and I'd like to read what he was referring to. This is a prominent Protestant preacher, John MacArthur, stating that the book of Daniel talks about the Antichrist, even though the word Antichrist wasn't mentioned, and that at the end, because he hates women, he's either a homosexual or a celibate. And if he's a celibate, most likely the Pope. You know what he's referring to? Daniel 11, verse 37. He shall give no heed to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not give heed to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. From that, he determined the Antichrist is the Pope. Beyond ridiculous. I'm going to lay out right now the absolute definitive proof that the Antichrist is not the Pope in the Catholic Church. You ready? 
Okay. It was a psychological necessity for early Protestant leaders to break from the church that they had to come up with a reason because they were in the process, they wanted to break away from what everybody considered the one true church. The Catholic Church was the only church that existed for 1,500 years. So if you're just going to sudden break away from it, you better come up with a pretty good reason. Not selling indulgences. I got another talk online that you can look up by last name, A-L-A-R and indulgences. I explain the whole history of indulgences. It was never church teaching. There was a couple bad priests that just misused them for donations. But that's not, they never, well, that's a whole nother talk. Since breaking with such an important body as the church is inconceivable to anyone who is determined to follow God's will, it was necessary that the Protestant leaders deny that the Catholic Church and the Pope were true. The recognition of the Catholic Church as one the one Christ established was so strong, given its centuries of existence, it being everywhere in Europe and having no rival in tracing its roots back to Christ, because none other existed, there were severe challenges that the leaders of the Reformation had to overcome. So the Protestant leaders tried to create in Scripture alternative explanations for a large false religious system expected to exist during the Christian age. They chose the religious system associated with the beast from the book of Revelation, whom they identified as the Antichrist. They further identified this false religious system with the whore of Babylon. You've heard that term. I get that all the time. Mary is the whore of Babylon. The Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon. The Pope is the Antichrist. I get this all the time. I've never answered it. I'm answering it now. First, they refer to this like the whore of Babylon, who in Revelation is in contrast to the church, the bride of Christ. So it's a good start. They came to portray the Catholic Church as the whore of Babylon and the Pope as the Antichrist. Let's go to our next slide, if Brother Mark can show that. So there's the whore of Babylon. Remember, the whore of Babylon is the one who rode the beast. So they're claiming that the whore of Babylon is the church and the beast is the Antichrist. Okay? Or the Pope, I'm sorry. The, the Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon riding on the beast and the beast um, is the whore of Babylon, I'm sorry, and the Antichrist is the Pope. Sorry, I misspoke. The Antichrist is the Pope. Only then could splitting away from what was recognized as the true Church of Christ be justified. It's the only way. The difficulty with linking the Pope to the Antichrist, or this papal Antichrist theory, is that while it may have provided some psychological comfort to early Protestant leaders, it doesn't fit Scripture. I'm going to show you how. Even given the identification of the Antichrist with the beast, okay, even then, the Pope is the last person 
who would fit the biblical requirements for being the individual antichrist or any of the antichrists, the little antichrist. Why? How can I prove to you scripturally that a pope in the Catholic Church cannot be an antichrist? All right, the epistles of John indicate about antichrist is one who denies that Christ has come in the flesh. Okay, however, the very basis for the existence of the position of papacy in the church is that Christ has come in the flesh. Well, then why does the Pope exist? Why does the office of the papacy exist? Because Christ ascended into heaven and he left a successor, his representative here on earth called the Vicar of Christ. That's another whole set of letters I get. You call the Pope God. No. The Pope is not Christ. The Pope is the vicar. V-I-C-A-R, a vicar of Christ, meaning his representative on earth. This is what Christ said to Peter when he established the papacy, Matthew 16, 18, and placed Peter upon it. The successor of Peter is his vicar, his representative on earth. Now for the Pope to deny Christ and therefore fit the credential of the Antichrist, who says Christ is not come in the flesh, would totally demolish the reason for having the papacy. You, you, you can't have the papacy the whole office of the papacy declares Christ has come in the flesh and I'm his representative. So if you deny that Christ came in the flesh, you're denying yourself. So by his very inherency, the office of the papacy cannot be of the Antichrist because the Antichrist is apostate. It denies all religion of Christ. Okay? Since no pope has made such claims, it is verifiable that no pope in history has been an antichrist. No pope in history has said, Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. And I know there's out there letters saying Pope Francis has said that. No, he didn't. Neither, and I'm not agreeing with everything Pope Francis has did, but these are things more of discipline more than dogma, we can disagree with the Pope. We can disagree if there's issues with ordaining deacon, uh, female deacons or uh, uh, boundaries on, on uh, immigration. You can disagree with them on that. The Pope is not infallible in those matters. He's only infallible when he speaks ex cathedra from the chair in matters of faith and morals. So, there will not be any pope or future pope to deny the basis of his very own position. If a pope came out and says, Jesus Christ is not God come in the flesh, then he eliminates his own position. This, it, nobody says this. The pope and the Catholic Church are too central to historic Christianity to be against it. If they were against it, Christianity would have never survived because they are Christianity. Okay, the anti-papal argument 
is not credible and it's not biblical. Further, in Scripture, the beast is clearly seen as a political leader, not a church leader. And they're going to try to say that the Pope and the beast and the Antichrist are all the same. It doesn't make any sense because it's clear he is a political leader, not a church leader. In fact, the beast is literally identified with one of the early Roman emperors, not a church leader. We talked about that. Now, here's my favorite, favorite one. I went to La Salette. Let's show our next slide. I have a, I feel a really powerful talk about the power of La Salette. This is the cover slide. You can go find it on YouTube later. I did a talk called La Salette, What Heaven Said. And I went there. So I went to La Salette. And everybody wants to bring up that phrase, Our Lady of La Salette said, Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of the Antichrist. Did Mary say that? Did Mary say that Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of the Antichrist? Supposedly she did. But after the apparitions were already proved in 1851, she said it in 1879, which were after the approved apparitions. So the church does not teach that as approved apparition. But let's go with it. Let's even say it is words of Mary. Does that destroy our church? No. Why? Because the New Testament predicts before the second coming of Christ, there will be a great falling away from the faith. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. But this will apply to all people. So not just Rome, but of course the people of Rome too, just as much as the people in other places. It'll be all over. The falling of the way of the faith will not be just one place or another. It'll be everywhere. So why would Our Lady say Rome? Because that was the heart of Christianity. So the Antichrist will persecute the church, as did some of the early Roman emperors. The early Antichrists were in Rome. So why would we think that they wouldn't do the same thing in the future? As for where these persecuting emperor-like individuals will be based, Rome is very likely. Why? Jimmy Aiken, one of my favorite theologians, I get a lot of good stuff from him, even said, I expect that the church's persecutors will be the same as the first ones, pagans in Rome. She never said that the Antichrist would be the Pope. She just said that the seat will be in Rome. Well, who's the emperor of Rome, pagan Rome's seat? In Rome. The very first persecutors of the church and the very first Antichrist were in their seats in Rome. They were Roman emperors. So why would we think if the first persecutors of the church had their seats in Rome and they were antichrists, why is it so hard to believe that at the end, the same attacks on our same church from the same pagans, the same antichrists, wouldn't be just like those first emperors in Rome who could even be in Rome? They say Rome is the heart of all Satanism in the world. Now, do you think that means because it's coming from the seat of the chair of Peter? No, it's because the chair of Peter is in Rome 
And that's going to draw all the Satanism. It, Mary didn't say the seat of the papacy was the Antichrist. She just said it would be the seated in Rome. Well, there's been many pagan emperors and Antichrists seated in Rome. So the Antichrist, we know this. She never referred to the Pope or the Catholic Church. The Antichrist will be the head of state, persecuting the church. And the Pope will be leading the church underground, just like Peter did in the first century in Rome. Apostasy is the key. What is apostasy? It's not heresy. Yes, a church leader can be guilty of heresy. I get these letters all the time. Father Chris, Father so-and-so, Bishop so-and-so, Cardinal so-and-so, even the Holy Father said something that's heretical. Heresy doesn't make you the Antichrist. Apostasy does. What's the difference? Apostasy is a full rejection of the faith. Jesus Christ is not God incarnate. One who no longer considers himself Christian. Others who are heresy, they're still Christian. They just make mistakes. It doesn't mean that Christians abandoning orthodoxy for heresy, like bad Christians or a bad pope. It does not mean that they fit the Antichrist. The Antichrist is based on apostasy not heresy. Even if we have heresy, we've had a heretical priests or heretical bishops, that doesn't make them apostate. Now, if they reject that Christ was not God and God did not come in the flesh, and I reject all of Christianity, especially the Catholic Church, now you are in apostasy. And that fits the description of the Antichrist. So Christians leaving Christianity altogether, going back to paganism, that's who the Antichrist comes from. Church leaders, as much as they frustrate us, as much as we say stupid things, the ones I know are not apostates. Because if anybody came out and said, Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, which some people said the Holy Father said he did not, then he's apostate. Big difference. Heresy is making a mistake or be giving bad teaching, but you still believe Christ is God. Apostasy is rejecting Christ is not even that. A strategy that early Protestant used, Protestant leaders used to justify their separation from the church was to accuse it of being run by the Antichrist, whom they identified as the Pope. This is out of whack with Scripture. Scripture identifies the Antichrist as someone who claims that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. How do I you know that, Father? Second letter of John, verse 7. The Pope has to be a Christian. Can't be Pope. Even if he's a bad Pope. The Pope is the last person on earth to meet the biblical requirements of the Antichrist. Absolutely. Nobody teaches this. I learned this in seminary. Chris Sparks, my theologian, confirmed it for me. I've never heard one priest, bishop, or the Holy Father himself say this. I don't understand why not. I denied my priesthood for so long 
for so many years because I just didn't think I was holy enough, and I'm not holy enough. But the one thing I do have is a big mouth. <laughs> and I say that all the time. And, and when I meet our Lord someday, I really believe he's going to say to me, I didn't pick you because you're holy. I didn't pick you because you're well-liked. I didn't pick you because you're super smart. I picked you because you have a big mouth. <laughs> and that is the one thing I can bring. I don't hear this. And thank God for you listening that you can share this and we can get the word out there to protect our faith. You know, the Pope, the, okay, the Antichrist is not a Pope. It's a military or political figure who contrasts with the Pope. This La Salette apparition occurred in 1846 and the local bishop approved it in 1851. So the visions were approved again, 1851, but not everything they said afterwards. Supposedly, Mary said this about the seat of the Antichrist was made in 1879. Does anybody ever tell you that? When people keep throwing that quote of Mary at La Salette, and you have to put your head down because you believe Mary said that the Pope was going to be the Antichrist? we got to look at this. These things may not have been in the secret that was sent to the Pope in 1851 and that was approved. This might have been what later became the longer secret, which was not approved. But either way, even if she did say it, I just explained why I think it's very logical. I very much believe Mary could have said that because the first seats of the first Antichrist were in Rome. They were not the Pope. And it also could be prophetic cancellation. You know what that is? All right, go to Jeremiah 18, chapter 7 through 10. God declares doom on a city for its sins, but says if the city repents, he will call off the doom. Do we not hear this everywhere? Does Mary not say this at Fatima and many other places? All right, now I'm going to get to the big one. Let's go to our next slide. Is Pope Francis the Antichrist? Is Pope Francis the Antichrist? All right, there's a lot of stuff out there. Videos everywhere. Just showed you one. Some guy saying that because the book of Daniel says that the king, and you know what chapter Daniel 11 is about? It's not about the Antichrist. It's about the war between the northern and the southern kingdoms and the kings. But because the king didn't react to the woman, He's determined that the Pope is the Antichrist because the Pope is celibate. Do you know how many celibate people there are in the world? Right here. Now, let's talk about is Pope Francis the Antichrist. Pope Francis regularly affirms that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. Don't believe me? Go watch his words. He regularly affirms that Jesus is the God-man. He regularly affirms this, and this is something Scripture tells us the Antichrist will not do. The Antichrist will never be able to affirm Jesus Christ as God. Father, how do you know this? 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, and 2 John verse 7. Contrary to some opinions, Pope Francis 
has made many unpopular decisions. I do not agree with everything he has said and done. Many other priests feel the same way. However, he's not changed church dogma or even doctrine at this point. Now, there's some fear over the synod, and I, I'm getting a lot of letters, Father, speak on the synod. I will not until the documents come out, because until then, it's all speculation, and I don't want to do that. After the documents come out, we'll look at them. We'll have a Saturday talk on them. But Pope Francis has not changed dogma, saying Jesus Christ is not Lord. Mary is not the mother of God. Mary is not perpetually virgin. Mary is not immaculately conceived. He has not said that. Has he said unpopular things and things that are really pushing our faith and our understanding? Yes. But what he has changed is discipline, which technically can do and is still not an apostate. The Holy Spirit will protect this office. In other words, the Antichrist, as I said before, cannot be a pope because the pope cannot utter the words, Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you don't believe me, I will give you several copies of Pope Francis saying, Jesus Christ is Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Ditto the pope being a false prophet. Protestants claim that the pope is the Antichrist. They are not new. These are, these are totally things that have happened. So now, what does the church say about this? All right. The church traditionally distinguishes between the Antichrist, understood to be this pseudo-Messiah who will come at the end of time and lead the world against the church in this final trial, and Antichrist, as I've been talking about all along, in the plural, who participate in some spirit of the Antichrist. They have been around since the beginning and they will personify the spirit of the devil. Now, let's listen to this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, describes the Antichrist as a person who will have all the power and deception of the devil himself. He will attempt to deceive people into believing that he is what he is not. Ultimately, he will claim himself to be God, and only the coming of the Lord himself will stop him. How is the Antichrist stopped? Jesus kills him, defeats him. Finally, let's go to our next slide. Christ himself will finally defeat the Antichrist and cast him into hell. This is biblical. Now, in St. John's day, he was combating the early fathers of Gnosticism. And they were promoting their own way of salvation rather than the way of Christ through the church. That is an apostate. But then, in the same context, John teaches us something that I bet you did not know about the spirit of the Antichrist. You know how it's funny when you hear the Antichrist and people try to compare it to the church, you get a little scared? I'm going to teach you right now where John tells you it's the exact opposite. There seems to be a connection between the spirit of the Antichrist and rejecting God's authority on earth. If you reject God's authority, and how is his authority on earth? The church. If you reject that, 
You have a connection to the spirit of the Antichrist. This is not my interpretation. This is the church's interpretation of the scriptures. The spirit that says, now I'm reading you scripture. The spirit that says, I know more than God, basically, why well, actually paraphrasing, I should say. But I know more than God and his apostolic authority on earth. Those who were sent by God with authority represents the spirit of the Antichrist. I'll do it my way. Why am I saying this? Matthew 16, 18, Matthew 16, 19. Jesus gave the authority to the church. This is what John is warning us against. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 6, whoever knows God listens to us. And he who is not of God does not listen to us. Who's us? The men of the church. To avoid deception, the church teaches, and actually the scriptures teach, that we must do at least three essential things. We must remain in union with God the Father. We must remain in union with God the Son, God the God-man, Jesus Christ. And we must remain in union with the apostolic authority that God himself established on earth. The one holy Catholic and apostolic church, which alone professes full apostolic authority. It was the only one Christ gave it to. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus called the church, quote, the pillar and foundation of the truth. He established the chair of the papacy and put Peter upon it in Matthew 16, 18. In Colossians 1, 18, Jesus said that he is the head of the body, which is the church. I don't need a church, Father. Yes, you do. <laughs> I do. Otherwise, you're telling Christ what he did in setting it up was completely of no interest to you. Contrary to common belief, the church isn't man-made. It is God-made. I'm tired, Father. I'm not going to follow some man-made religion. I'm following God, okay? Turn to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Let's look at it on your screen. What you hear, this is directly from the Bible, what you hear from me entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Did you hear that? What you hear from me entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Well, I'm not going to listen to you, Father. You're not a teacher. I only listen to God. God selected the church and those he put into it to teach his word. This is how Christ set it up. Who are we to tell him he is wrong? Almost done. Let's go to where, or no, I'm oh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. The secret to protect yourself from this antichrist deception was a good article by Carlo Broussard on Catholic Answers. I want to draw a little bit from him. According to St. Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, the way we protect ourselves from the deception is by holding fast to the traditions that I have taught you both oral and written. 
How many of you here know your family history? I know my family history. My grandfather, great-grandfather, was born in Croatia, a little town called Polapacha. It was then the Austro-Hungarian Empire, came to the United States in 1898, ended up being murdered on his front porch for forming the first labor unions. I know my mom's side, that my father, or her, grandfather, or her father on my mom's side came from Bohemia or Moravia, and on the, her mom's side came from Bohemia. I'm Czechoslovakian on my mom's side. Now I know all this, guess how much I've seen this in writing? Zero. Does that make it untrue? I have nothing in writing that says my grandfather came from Moravia. I have nothing in writing that says my grandmother came from Bohemia and they used to open their presents on Christmas Eve rather than Christmas Day. Because as a kid, I always wanted to open early. So I always applied to the traditions of Bohemia and Moravia. <laughs> Did I have a written document that says grandma and grandpa came from Bohemia and Moravia and they opened their presents on Christmas Day and they always ate lamb. They didn't eat ham, they ate lamb on Easter. Do I have that in writing? No. Does that make it not true? No, and I can guarantee you it's very true. Because it is a tradition that has been handed down in our family. We open Christmas presents on Christmas Eve and we eat lamb at Easter. That is a tradition that has come down in our family. I have it nowhere in writing, but I can promise you it's true. Where else would it have come from? Did my mom just make it up one day in the kitchen? No. This is what Paul's telling us in 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Hold fast to the traditions I teach you, both oral and written. How can God communicate with us? Yes, he can write us a love letter in the Gospels, but you don't think he can speak to us either? Does that mean everything that God speaks that was orally a tradition and handed down to us is invalid? No. Similar to 1 John chapter 4, verse 6, we are of God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and he who is not of God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Wow. Right there, John is telling us that how you know truth from falsity is by listening to us. Who is John talking about? Us, the magisterium, the first priests, the first bishops, who then handed it on. In other words, we must adhere to the apostolic preaching or sacred tradition to stay in the truth. So in order to identify sacred tradition today, we must look to the church's creeds and doctrines and dogma, the moral practice of the church as well, and sacred liturgy. Remember, we have three legs to our stool, just like the Jews did. We have scripture, tradition, and magisterium. Now, this is the living tradition, Catechism 83. 
and it provides Christians the full and clear picture of God's revelation. All right, let's wrap it up. Uh, just about done here. Let's talk about, let's go to our next slide. Let's talk about the doctors of the church. According to St. Thomas Aquinas, what does he say? As in Christ dwells in the fullness of the Godhead, so in the Antichrist dwells the fullness of wickedness. His miracles may be said to be just as real as Pharaoh's magicians who made real frogs, but they will not be real miracles because they will be done by the power of natural causes and not by the power of God. His miracles will be lies. No one can perform a true miracle that's not in the name of God because God is not a witness of falsity. Hence, no one preaching a false doctrine can work miracles. Wow. St. Augustine, Christ will not come to judge unless the Antichrist, his adversary, comes first to seduce, to seduce those who are dead in their soul. He's actually giving you a last chance. It's actually mercy. He's giving you a last chance to see evil itself. You know, this is one thing people never say. The Antichrist is a mercy of God to allow it. Well, Father, we're going to have trials and tribulations. You betcha. You bet we are. But do you think if this world ended with the weather we have out there today, with the beautiful colors on the trees, Stockbridge, the National Shrine of Divine Mercy today is gorgeous. Birds singing. You all sitting in adoration. Oh, consolation, Lord. Do you think those people who are not here do not see it, and they're going about their busy day today, washing their cars, running to the grocery store, going to soccer practice, but have no use for God. If the world ended in the state that we see here today and everything was perfect, most of them would never turn to God. But if God shows them evil itself, evil personified, what is holiness personified? The image of divine mercy. Goodness itself, God. Mercy itself, the image of divine mercy. That is mercy and goodness personified. God is going to show you evil personified. And he's already giving us a foretaste. Then will come the Antichrist, and you are going to see evil itself. And then God's going to say, do you still want that? Are you still not going to turn to me? It's the ultimate plan, in my opinion. If God can show you evil itself and you still don't turn to him, that's it. That's why I believe in the three days of darkness. God's even going to shut the lights out on you. And if you still aren't going to say, Lord, all right, I really do need you, then what do you do? But I'm telling you, when evil itself shows and it's starting to show, this is what's going to bring people back. Because they're going to say, I don't want that. Already we're starting to see it in our culture. How many people were never non-committal? They were always non-committal. They never committed. But now they're seeing transvestites trying to change and mutilate the genitals of little children. And they're saying, that's it. That's enough is enough. I've had enough. 
This is evil. Because now you see evil personified. And God's giving you a chance to choose it. Do you want this or do you want me? If everything's all hunky-dory, you don't really see the good and the evil. You just see what's in front of you. And you say, hey, this is a good ride. But when all of a sudden you got to take sides and God goes over here and, the, and Satan and evil goes over here, you're not going to ever be able to say, I didn't see it. This is why I believe God is going to allow the Antichrist. Not that he wants it but he allows it. St. Augustine said that Christ will not come until this Antichrist has come to be able to judge the dead in soul. That's what he means. Right now we're living amongst a bunch of dead in their soul. His presence shall be after the coming of the Antichrist so that we can see evil and choose good. John Damascene said, quote, during the first part of his reign, the Antichrist plays more the part of sanctity but when he gains complete control, he persecutes the church and reveals all his wickedness. How many women doctors of the church are there? How many doctors of the church are there? Okay, now let's talk about the women doctors of the church, right? You got St. Catherine of Siena, you got St. Teresa of Avila, you've got St. Uh, Therese of Lisieux, and who's the most recent one? Hildegard, St. Hildegard of Bingen. Now, she had a lot to say about the Antichrist, and I didn't even know who she was when she became a doctor. And then I learned about her in seminary. Let's hear what she said. She said, after the birth of the Antichrist, heretics will preach false doctrines. Now, they're not quite apostates yet. But heretics will preach their false doctrines undisturbed, resulting in Christians having doubts about their holy Catholic faith then they will become apostate and many Christians will follow them. After his birth, false teachers and doctrines will appear, followed by wars, famines, and pestilence. His mother will seldom let anyone see him until it is time. That's the mockery of Jesus. Nobody saw him until it was time. We only have those two stories about him in the temple and getting lost as a little boy. It wasn't really revealed until it was time. When he has grown to full manhood, just like Jesus, it's a mockery, he will publicly announce, just like Jesus, his public ministry began, he will publicly announce a hostile doctrine on religion. He will lure and attract the people to himself by granting them complete exemption from the observance of all commandments. Hmm. Kind of saw that a little few years ago, didn't we? Didn't matter that this had anything to do with abortion. You got to do it. He will preach, permitting everyone to live as his passions dictate. By doing so, he hopes to be acknowledged by the people as a deliverer from the yoke of Christianity. And as the cause of, he will be the cause of prosperity in the world. He will no longer be held down. Religion, he will make it convenient. Aren't we starting to see that? He will say that you don't need to fast. You don't need to do all that. In fact, if anybody wants to say that, that the Holy Father is the Antichrist, do you know what yesterday was? A day announced by the Holy Father to fast and pray. 
Antichrist won't do that. Antichrist will never say to fast and pray. It will suffice just to love one another. It will suffice. He will preach free love, but tear apart family ties. Isn't that interesting? He will teach free love, but tear apart family ties. Wow. How far we have slipped just... Speaking of family ties, you remember that show from the 80s? With Michael J. Fox? It was a wholesome show. You didn't have swearing. You didn't have apostasy. You didn't have people on the show redefining marriage. It, it's unbelievable how far we've fallen just in this short time. He will tear down that which God has taught in the Old Testament, New Testament, and maintain sin and vice are not sin and vice. He will ally himself with kings and princes and rulers and powerful people of the earth. Wow, this is St. Hildegard, the newest female doctor of the church. Now, popes have also commented on the Antichrist. In the early 20th century, Pope Pius X, he saw society already suffering terrible sickness. Quote, he said, this disease is apostasy from God and man putting himself in the place of God. This is the distinguishing mark of the Antichrist, raising himself above all that is God. As I'm wrapping up here real quick, John Paul had a great quote. Let's go to our next slide. John Paul, let's read the famous quote that you've probably heard. John Paul said, we are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has ever experienced. I do not think that the wide circle of the American society or the whole wide circle of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church, between the gospel and the anti-gospel, between Christ and the Antichrist. The confrontation lies within the plans of divine providence, which means God allows it. It is therefore in God's plan, and it must be a trial which the church must take up and must face courageously. Jesus, he lived, he preached, he died, he resurrected. The church, he, I'm sorry, he was born, he preached, he uh, was crucified and he resurrected. The church was born of the holy apostles. She preached and evangelized. She will die because we will go through this trial and she will resurrect. So Archbishop Fulton Sheen, let's go to our last slide. Did Sheen prophesy about this? Really surprising, listen to his words. Fulton Sheen said the false prophet will have a religion without a cross. You all know I'm going to give my favorite example here. The gospel of prosperity that is sweeping the world. Biggest church in the United States of America. Gospel of prosperity. Brazil, 95% Catholic just in the 1950s, now is under 50%. You know the famous story. I'm flipping through looking for EWTN. 
There I see the pastor of the biggest church in the United States of America. Says on Larry King, I don't talk about sin. Makes people feel bad. And then they show a clip. You love Jesus? You'll get that new car. You love Jesus? You'll get that new house. You love Jesus? You'll get that beautiful new wife. And my favorite? You, you love Jesus? You'll be promoted to be the boss at work rather than your coworker because you are God's favorite. What? Not only is that not the gospel, that's outright dangerous. That gospel of prosperity is the, a religion without a cross. That is not the gospel. A religion without a crucifixion, a religion without a dying to self, renouncing of sin, going through the tribulation and then being resurrected. It's basically a religion without the real world to come. Fulton Sheen says it will be a religion that actually destroys religions. It will be, he said there will be a counterfeit church. He said the Catholic church, there'll be two churches, he said. The Catholic church will be one and the false prophet will create the other. The false church will be worldly, ecumenical, and global. What are our favorite words out there today? Worldly, ecumenical, and global. Fulton Sheed said this in the 1950s. Before anybody was talking about worldly, ecumenical, and global. He said it will be a loose federation of churches and religions forming some type of global association. This is like he just said this yesterday. Unbelievable. This was 70 years ago. No man recognizes, or sorry, when no man recognizes the Antichrist, the more power he has. His logic, if there's no heaven, there's no hell. If there's no hell, then there's no sin. If there's no sin, then there's no judge. And if there's no judge, there's no judgment. Therefore, I declare evil is good and good is evil. Are we not seeing that today? Fulton Sheen prophesies this. This is a condition in the Bible for the end times, he said. Man, talk about nailing it. Even mystics have commented on this. In the early 19th century, blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, you know, the one who uh, uh, Mel Gibson based the passion on her, her account. He said, or she said, quote, when the time of the reign of the Antichrist is near, a false religion will appear, which will be opposed to the unity of God and his church. This will cause the greatest schism the world has ever known. Boy, there's a lot of talk that we might end up in schism. Pray for your church. Because let me tell you, the church is protected by the Holy Spirit from apostasy and heresy. But if somebody in the church comes out and says that we can change dogmatic teaching of the church, they then become schismatic. 
So father, how can you say nobody's going to do that? No, I didn't say nobody's going to do it. Somebody could do it. But then they become schismatic. They separate themselves from the church. She said, this will cause the greatest schism the world has ever known. The nearer the time of the end, the more the darkness of Satan will spread on earth. The greater will be the number of the children of corruption, and the number of the just will correspondingly diminish. There will be a remnant. How did Christianity survive in the first century? A remnant. And we're going to go right back there. He comes in a last-ditch effort to be idolized, to bring down mankind through creaturely worship. But you know what? I don't want to end on that. I want to end with hope. Hope remains. One of my favorite mystics, Blessed Anna Maria Taigi, she said, quote, there's hope. Whole nations will join the church shortly before the reign of the Antichrist and after. These conversions will be amazing. Now, this is not church dogma. I'm reading you the writings of a mystic, Blessed Anna Marie Taigi. These conversions will be amazing. There shall be innumerable, innumerable conversions of heretics who will return to the bosom of the church. Russia, England, and China will come into the church. Could you imagine? And I want to add to that, she didn't say this, but Ireland will come back to the church. Because right now, Russia, England, and China are not in the church. Ireland's supposed to be. So we'll bring Russia, England, and China into the church, and we'll bring Ireland back to the church. What the Antichrist represent is not some final standoff between good and evil with some uncertain outcome. The Antichrist has no chance of winning. He remains subject to God's reign, even though he rejects it. Now, here's the funny part. People tell me all the time, Father Chris, why do you get so worked up? God wins in the end. Does that mean I'm just supposed to go to my room every day, put my feet up on the couch and take naps? Does that mean I'm just supposed to take vacations all the time? No, we got all of eternity to rest. Why am I so worked up, as many of you are, if we know God wins? If you know in the end that Antichrist has no hope, he rejects God. He has no hope. Our teach, teaches, our faith teaches that God has already defeated evil. Why do we do this? We do it because of this. In 1943, the Allies knew they were going to win the war. By mid-1943, the Allies knew they were going to win the war. Did they stop fighting? No, they kept fighting. Why? To eliminate or limit casualties. The reason we keep fighting, even though we know God wins, is to limit casualties. We fight for the souls that are on the fence right now that if we do nothing, they're going to be lost. Even though God wins, 
Souls will be lost. Our job is to minimize that loss. That's why we got to fight in the face of this evil. And this evil is in our face. The culture, the redefining marriage, saying life is not sacred, all this stuff we have to fight. Otherwise, souls will be lost. Once the culture says it's all okay and you agree it's okay, there's nothing to stop a soul from engaging in sins that will lead them to damnation. We have to fight like the allies continue to fight, even though they knew they were going to win the war. God wins. Yes. But my job, your job, is to take as many souls from the snatch of Satan and bring them back to God. Does that mean we're Savior? No. Does it mean we save them? No. Only God's grace saves them. But what did Augustine say? God didn't create you without you. He did create you without you. But he will not save you without you. You have a part to play in the salvation of your soul and the ones you love. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. God bless everybody. Thank you so much for coming. We're very grateful. Very, very grateful that you could make it. I just have a couple things I want to mention that we'd love you to be part of. One is becoming a Marian helper. You want to empower your prayers. Join us if Brother Mark can show on the screen, micprayers.org. It's a single website. You can go. It takes 10 seconds. doesn't cost any money. I said before, I don't care if you donate a dollar ever. Pray for us. We pray for you. Become a Marian helper. Share in the graces. Doesn't cost anything. micprayers.org. Takes just a minute and you can receive the graces of prayers. We pray for you. You pray for us. That's what the Bible says. Next, if you want to learn more about Divine Mercy, um, please pick up a copy. It's here in our gift shop if you're visiting in person, or if you're online, you can order it at shopmercy.org or 800-4-MARIAN, M-A-R-I-A-N. And the two books I got are Understanding Divine Mercy, and then the next slide of Brother Mark can show is after suicide, there's hope. It's not just about suicide. It's about any kind of suffering or loss, any tragedy. Please pick up a copy. And then finally, some of my talks are in my older DVD, shopmercy.org. Uh, it's called Explaining the Faith DVD series. You can take some of these home if you wish to watch them. But we're also putting all of this up on Divine Mercy Plus. And I, I, I have to laugh because I said earlier, I got a big mouth. So my staff is so smart. Brother Mark is very prophetic and says it's only going to be a matter of time before your mouth gets us canceled. So we are, and that's just not Brother Mark, it's all of my staff, my brothers, everybody's telling me this. I admit it. So we created a platform called DivineMercyPlus.org. All one word, DivineMercyPlus.org. And on it, we're going to put up our talks, our videos. So if we get canceled and you come to YouTube someday and I'm not there, and they've removed Father Kaz and me and Brother um, Matthew and Father Anthony, you can go to divinemercyplus.org. We put a ton of time and money into it. And so that is our platform. We pray we'll keep going on YouTube. We pray we'll keep going on Facebook. But if not, you can find us 
on divinemercyplus.org. God bless you, and we'll see you next week for First Saturdays. Amen? Amen. Thank you, everybody. Uh, the Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go forth, the talk is ended. Thanks be to God. Thank you, everybody. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.